Committed to fair debate and honest information, the Reality Check has arrived. RCR, Reality Check Radio. Right, it's that time of the morning and the week where we have the political panel. Paul, unfortunately, is not with us today. So I'm the host, which means I'm the boss. With me is Olivia Pearson. Welcome, Olivia. Good morning, Cam. And you know, really, I'm the boss, don't you? Of course, of course. <laughs> You're in with the overladies. Yep. And and we've Another got Chris, one. we've got our, our tame lefty, Chris Trotter. That's right. I'm here and I hate all bosses. <laughs> <laughs> You're the boss hater. <laughs> So uh, let's kick off with the leaders' debate because we watched that all last night. Uh, I was left with a distinct feeling that this election is Christopher Luxon's to lose as a result of that uh, debate. Uh, but I wasn't that enamoured with Chris Hipkins, and it was nice to see that guest uh, pipe up and give him a smack in the chops uh, for doing nothing over six years. But what do you guys think, Olivia? Uh, I, I actually found that debate rather hard to watch, and I would much rather talk about the other debate that happened a couple of days ago. Oh, we'll get but, to that. We'll get to yep, that. Good, good. Um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, it struck me as how it struck me as very depressing that I was listening to two grown men of the two major parties listen how they would uh, expand benefits, and I s- actually thought it might be time to leave the country. <laughs> That was what I felt. Um, I thought that David, uh, David, Chris Hipkins uh, had the better of Chris Luxon um, just by talking over him a lot and and, and chiming in all the time, which I guess is a debate tactic. But I could see that um, Luxon was getting a little bit wound up by it. And I'm not even a Luxon fan, but I felt a little I felt a little bit wound up on his behalf because he couldn't get a thought out without being interrupted. But most of it was just, again, real small potatoes. And there were some very strange things said. And maybe um, Mr. Trotsky can illuminate us on this one, Chris, Um, another Chris. Um, When Hipkins said that we've already got 70,000 people out of poverty. I mean, I laughed it loud at that. What does he mean by that? Well, he was talking about child poverty statistics as well and saying they're all turned around and heading in the right direction. Well, that's news to me. Maybe Chris has seen a different memo. Chris, what do you think about that? Well, it's not, it's, it's, it's not a memo. It's, it's just the measure from um, New Zealand statistics. I mean, that's all that he's quoting. Um, uh, there's still, I think, about 140,000 kids still in poverty, but uh, he's just um, done an arithmetical calculation. Uh, and uh, the difference between the number that were uh, and the number that are, uh, and, and that that the difference is seventy seven thousand. So that's what he was talking about. But if you asked every single one of those parents of those seventy seven thousand, as your child out of poverty, what do you reckon their answer is going to be? I have no idea. And the time it would take to ask all 77,000, the the situation would probably have changed yet again. But I mean, that's the thing that it always... I mean, you know know what they say, uh, Cam, lies, damn lies and statistics, but that's... (laughs) You asked me. You asked me where he got uh, where he got the number from. That's where he got the number from. Yeah, but I mean, this is the thing that frustrates me about all politicians, right? Not just Christopher Hipkins, but all politicians. They pull these statistics out. They say, "Aren't we wonderful?" Because we've done X. And the reality is, they haven't done anything at all. Those people are actually still in poverty. In poverty, it's- with another fourteen thousand bureaucrats in government. Yeah. I mean, really, this is, it's just um, socialism gone amok. Oh, I wish, Olivia. (laughs) No, you don't. You don't really. You're a self-sustaining man. Well, that's right. Well, if if what um, has happened over the past six years is socialism, then, then... Uh, your definition and mine are clearly uh, some distance apart. I think this has been 
a very, very poor government. Uh, it, uh, it, it has not kept uh, very many of the promises that it made uh, both before and after uh, the 2017 general election. Certainly the great promises about transformation uh, have not been kept. Uh, there are some absolute disasters like Kiwi Build, 100,000 houses apparently were going to be built, affordable houses at that, and I think uh, less than 2,000 have been constructed in that six-year period. So and they're probably not affordable either. It's been a, it's been a, it's, it's been a very, very uh, unsuccessful government in terms uh, of, of what it... Uh, uh, what it pledged to do, and and what it actually did. Now, of course, um, a global pandemic dropped into the middle of that six years, uh, and uh, you can't just pretend that it didn't. But um, but that in itself, you know, produced a whole lot of other reactions in New Zealand, and I think a lot of the anger that is still out there in the electorate. Uh, can be traced back uh, to the government's handling uh, of the of the pandemic, but well, uh, when you say that, that you, also, you also you also have to say though, um, just before you you, you chime in, um, Olivia, that <laughs> while there were some really um, you know uh, bad things um, up until 2020, uh, at least. There were also some very good things, and that's why they got that unprecedented vote in in 2020. But what they've done since, you know, with that golden opportunity in their hands, um, a, a parliamentary majority of their own has been just woeful. Well, you, and also I know I was going to say that Chris Hipkins, you know, is still trying to glean votes by boasting about their flipping COVID response, which, I mean, I know he's going to do that because he's a politician and he's also a little bit desperate as well. But really, it is such a painful uh, memory for so many of us, the whole thing and the whole way it was conducted, that to hear somebody now still reference it to try and get them more votes just made me sick, actually. Well, that's what gets me uh about Christopher Hipkins, he's pretending like he wasn't involved. Mm. You know, he he was the little yap dog of Jacinda Ardern. He was the COVID minister. He was the education minister. He was the police minister. Yeah. He the only thing he, he hasn't been is the health minister, right? Which is which is a complete disaster. I mean, who reorganizes a health system in the middle of a pandemic? I mean, honestly, mm. this is the sort of stuff that they did. Uh, yet he stands there with his little boyish looks and his bobbing head and his fly-catching mouth uh, trying to have us believe that he wasn't agree in agreement with all of that stuff when actually he was the minister that was pushing it all. And, and it beggars belief. And the, the one that got me the most in that debate was when he was accusing Christopher Luxon of dog-whistle racist policies. Mm. Hello, his is the government that brought in co-governance mm. with no uh, reference to it in any manifesto without putting it to the people and said, this is how we're going to do it. And anybody who said, wait a minute, we kind of don't agree with that, they yelled racist. Yeah. Chris, what do you think about that? Oh, I think uh, the way that this government, especially in the last three years when they did have that uh, absolute majority uh, has handled uh, race relations has just been woeful, absolutely woeful. And it began even before um, the landslide victory of 2020 because, of course, the Hapulpur report was commissioned and it was written uh, and Labour was very careful uh, not to let uh, Winston Peters see it uh, and they, when it finally was exposed to the light of day, decided to try and pretend that it was just an advisory document and it wasn't a blueprint at all. But anybody who's read the report 
and then looked at the measures adopted uh, by this government uh, between 2020 and 2023, uh, would be very hard placed to deny that the step-by-step process has been followed um, with considerable accuracy. <laughs> and, and, um, and, you know, this, this was something that if you wanted to do it, and I cannot for the life of me understand why anybody would want to um, construct a society based on racial identity. Uh, it's been tried. It was an absolute moral catastrophe uh, wherever it was tried, whether it be in the southern states of America or in South Africa. But uh, uh, w- why you would try to do this, uh, you know, absolutely escapes me. But, you know, t- to think that you could do it um, without uh, getting the sanction of the people of New Zealand themselves, to think, to think that you could do it, the, the, the report at no point uh, suggests that the dramatic constitutional changes that are being proposed, at no point does that report say, of course, this will have to be ratified in a binding referendum. The people who wrote the report clearly understood that if the people of New Zealand were ever given the chance to vote this up or down, they would vote it down mm. in the most emphatic fashion. So um, they, they, the, the authors of the report never countenanced the idea uh, of, of a referendum. Uh, and this government... Um, you know, just appeared not to understand that if you want to change things, you have to make a case. You have to put the case to the people. You have to convince the people. I mean, this is the Labour Party, supposedly uh, the direct descendant of the organisation that was presided over by Mickey Savage, who... uh, with a bit of help from a Presbyterian minister and a school teacher and a country doctor, came up with a social security um, bill, argued it through the House, set a, set a start date after the election, mm. went around the country um, with, the, with the plan and said, if you want it, you'll have to vote for it. And the result was um, the biggest majority ever received by a political party in New Zealand. 55% of the popular vote was won by Labour. Now, that's the way you change things. Now, whether or not you agree with the Social Security bill, um, Olivia, I suspect you don't. But that was the way Labour used to do things. It, It came up with an idea. It adopted it as party policy. It wrote the legislation. It took the legislation around the country and said, we've passed this bill, but if you don't like it, don't vote for us because the National Party has pledged to repeal it. All right? So you know what to do. If you want the Social Security Act to stay in place, then vote Labour. If you don't, then vote National. And 55% of the people voted Labour. That's how you do it. That's called democracy. Mm. And the idea that you could get a group of people that no one had ever heard of meeting in secret to, to um, chart a, a course towards a completely different constitutional framework for New Zealand and at no time, at no time, um, submit it to the people of New Zealand for ratification. That, that behaviour cannot be rewarded with another term in government. No, because Uh, as you've pointed pointed out, it is a complete overturning of our democratic form. But we've got... Absolutely. We've got people in Parliament, though, that don't believe in democracy. They've said it out loud Mm. in in their own words. Rauri Waititi said he doesn't believe in democracy. It's the tyranny of the majority. Right. Tyranny of the majority. And that that is who Christopher Luxon is going to have to rely on should he manage to get a massive boost and get into the 30s and be in a position to 
to negotiate. I think you mean. I think you mean. I think you mean Chris Hipkins. Chris Hipkins. Yeah, Chris I Hipkins. Think, I don't think Chris Luxon is going to be relying on Tapati Maori. No, but yeah, Christopher Hipkins is going to have to rely on Tapati Maori. They don't even believe in democracy. They are uh, have become. Yeah, yeah I had, mean, this is this is the, the, yeah. This is the this is the crazy thing uh, about about this election, right? Um, how how could anybody? Uh, even think about going into some sort of coalition agreement with a person who had come out and, in as many words, repudiated the democratic process. In, as, in, in exactly the same uh, vein, how could you possibly entertain the idea of going into a coalition with a party whose um, co-leader just a couple of nights ago, um, suggested that the Israeli Defence Force be listed as a terrorist organisation. Mm. Mm. I mean, just, you know, there, there are times when you just have to say, look, um, we can't do this. I mean, you, you could say it privately, you know, to James Shaw and Marama Davidson, if you're going to say things like this, we can't go into a coalition with you. You'll have to have your best shot at getting fifty percent plus one, mm. because unless you stop saying things like this, we can't enter into a coalition with you. But I mean, it's, that's but it's what like they should have said the, the first time they went off the reservation to quite the extent that they that the Greens have over the last few years. But but, it, but there's also Rawari Waititi saying that Maori have superior DNA. Now, yeah. if if Christopher Luxon said that, or David Seymour said, you know, oh well, Europeans have got superior DNA. Imagine the outcry. But Rawari Waititi says it, and everyone goes, "Oh, it's only him being, you know, Rawari." You know, they've let the radicals mm. through. From funny, Chris, um, uh, how I've never been against a hand up you know, um, to quote the cliche, but this constant handout has been a feature of my life. I mean, I was born in 1969. I'm a little bit younger than you. Um, and for at least the last 20, 30 years that I've been paying attention to politics, to me anyway, the trajectory was clear from the left that they were radicalizing really hard. And it was in... I, I, the tells were in the um, division that they pushed within Maori, and especially within Maori and Pakiha. And also, there's always been, at least for the last twenty years, this real edginess around free speech just being inviolate. Um, it, it's always well, you know, there's lots of little arguments where you shouldn't be able to say this or shouldn't be able to say that, and and feelings started to become the most dominant reason to not be able to say things, which just doesn't cut the mustard as far as I'm concerned. Somebody's hurt feelings. But that lingo has been in, in parlance in, in our democracy for the last 20 years. Um, and frankly, I'm a little bit shocked that the lovers of the left failed to notice. Oh, look, uh, I, <laughs> the story is considerably worse than that. I'm afraid, Olivia, because all of the debates that are now racking New Zealand and Australia, Western Europe, North America, um, to do with um, questions of identity, um, these were all being debated with tremendous passion within left-wing circles 40 years ago and more. So. These debates are nothing new to those of us who have, who have been in and around the left all that time. Why all did you sanction it? Why the, did you sanction it then? I mean, well, so I, I, I've, never sanctioned, I've never sanctioned it, Olivia. Okay. When, when Donna Awatiri came out with her Maori Sovereignty series and broadsheet, I mean, back then, that was 1982, I think maybe 83, and 
you can go back. I can find you the 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 the, the article I wrote saying this is a very bad idea. This is not going to end well. Nationalism never does. Um, and you know, I've I've fought it all the way, but. Uh, uh, you know, you 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 got to have more than uh, the other side if you wanna if you wanna win a vote, um, and there always seem to be more on on the uh, on the side of of what's called identity politics. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah I mean the reason the reason I sorry you go ahead, Ken. That's all right. I'm just going to say let's get back to the debate. But it, I know it was so boring because we're oh, now I talking left about it behind, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> me too. It, it was it was unedifying to watch, wasn't it? Um, I mean, uh-huh. Christopher Luxon flapping his arms around, making Weasley sort of statements. Um, no strong vision there. Um, saying, "Oh, look, we we've we've got a plan. Trust us. We'll get New Zealand back on track." You're Christopher Hipkins who just was sniping and over-talking and yapping. And he had a couple of good hits, you know, when he when he mentioned about um, uh, Sam Uffendale, which was a bit of a low blow, really. But, I mean, that's that's all they've got. They've got nothing that they can stand for, so they've just got to have a whack at everything. And, I'm, and, and, I, and I'm Chris... Not, I'm, I watched it and I thought... I don't want to vote for either of you. No, no. And Chris, Chris Hipkins <laughs> keep going on about you know you need more than sound bites and slogans. And well, he, that's he all Jacinda Ardern had. Ah, oh, look, that was all she had, and it was all identity politics all the way from the beginning with that woman. And I, I can't believe it. That goes to your point, Cam, where you say it's as if Chris Hipkins had nothing to do with it all. <laughs> that whole government and. And then he goes on about growing businesses. We're going to be growing businesses. Um, and and I thought, yeah, after you've killed so many with your COVID response, I mean, really, it was just very angering, the whole thing. Right. Well, we will move on because it was terrible. I mean, I don't <laughs> I, I don't want to vote for either of them. They leave me cold, both of them. And Christopher Hipkins, because well, of what he on. did. Just uh, for the record. Just for the record, all you naysayers, mm. I thought it was a bloody brilliant debate. Really? And I thought Chris Hipkins knocked, uh, knocked Chris Luxon clean out of the ring. I thought it was a wee Bobby Deslip, personally, how, but there we how, are. That's how, many of those, how many of those socialist Chardonnays have you got on board, Chris? Yeah, I, oh, that's no, Not at all. Not, none, none whatsoever. Uh, and and uh, I... I only I could only sit through the first uh, five or ten minutes of the first debate, and I, I I sort of switched you know between channels, and wasn't particularly impressed by the second one, but this one had me um, um, absolutely riveted. Oh, I I, th- I thought it was a great debate. So you say it's a win. So you're saying it's a win for Hipkins, uh, Olivia. What are you saying? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, there was, there was uh, I I. I guess it, it depends on how you judge a debate, I guess. And I just, there was no substance discussed. No. Um, but in, in terms of the better debater on the stage, it was Chris Hipkins. I would right. say that. Right, we've got yeah. that. It's enough of that. Yeah, but. Yeah, but let's talk know. about that. Let's talk <laughs> yeah, about, enough of that. That's let's enough of that, my boy. <laughs> let's talk about something that's a whole lot more fun, the stuff press leaders debate with the minor party leaders. Olivia, kick off. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it was, I found it pretty strange. I'll have to say, I'm finding all these debates very odd, but maybe I'm a bit too old fashioned. But lots of the usual calls for the redistribution of wealth came from the commies. Marama Davidson and the other dude from Tapati Māori, I'm not sure of his name, who at least speaks better than Waititi, which wouldn't be hard. The redistribution of wealth just means looting, and they went on and on about it. It came up so many times in that debate. Um, And they want everything within the purview of state control. Government spending is already up 68%, probably higher than that, since 2017, and our debt has more than doubled. And yet, in that context, these eternal children, Maori Party and the Greens, are promising free dental, free medical, free homes, free schooling, free this, free that, 
all of which would be done through a wealth tax and rapacious emissions trading schemes and levies in every sector of business, um, they would loot it all to Venezuelan and Sri Lankan levels of collapse, classic Marxism, from each according to their ability to each according to their need, seems to ring just be their you know greatest maxim um you know and is it need or want they're after want aren't they well they're no, after no, it's need no no <laughs> olivia's olivia's quoting marx correctly from each no, according no, to his oh yeah no no we got the marx each quote. according to his name you know, yeah, I, know the I know the quote's right but they they're, they're not it's not about need for them it's about want yeah, it is. And no, it has become about want. You're de dead right. But that's a Marxist axiom um, where um, those with any competence, vigor or ability will forever be the slaves of the unproductive. I reject it there on principle. Um, Winston, <laughs> another, another, um, I'll Olivia, try channeling, channeling the ghost of Ayn Rand. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, mm, yeah, probably more Thomas Jefferson, but anyway, I mean, you know, and others, even I'm sure even Norman Kirk would have a problem with it. Um, but Winston Peters took Madame Davidson to task over a bit of her lack of open condemnation, uh, of what Hamas just committed in Israel. Uh, by way of brutal and dehumanizing terrorism of the worst variety. I mean, I'm reeling from it. It's I actually get quite teared up when I look at news at the moment. It's truly shocking. And Marama did a moral equivalence of the Israeli Defense Forces committing terrorism, which shows you what a child she is, then said right at the end, though it was hard to hear because Winston was over-talking, well, she was over-talking Winston, but Marama blurted out, what about your anti-vax terrorist members? Yeah, just appalling. Far out. Um, I yeah. thought that, that on the back of talking about Hamas and that going on, she did the equivalence and then threw that in about us, people yeah. like you and me, yeah. Cam, yeah. and mm. our families. And, I mean, gosh, that woman is appalling. And she's just a finger-wagging tartar all the way. Um, I guess people... You know, that meant people like us, people like Kirsten Murphitt, and unbelievably stupid and morally vacuous thing to say about those in the freedom movement. Um, but that's the contempt they've got for us. And I, I, that, I find that quite frightening. But she's and, got contempt for cis white males as well. And she can yeah. say that willy nilly and nobody calls her out on it. Yeah, but this is really dangerous. Oh, she, she, did, she, did get, she did get called out on that, and rightly so. But have you noticed? that um, the Greens have relied um, to a very large extent uh, during this campaign on um, James Shaw. Absolutely. Because James Shaw is, is, is the acceptable face of the Green Party. Personally, if I was in charge of the Green Party strategy, I wouldn't let Marma Davidson set foot outside her own house because <laughs> she is not good um, for the Green Party vote. Whereas James, in his suit and his tie and his very reasonable demeanour, and his reasonable. focus, yeah, his focus on the environmental, on the climate change aspect, rather than all this um, extraordinary uh, um, redistributive talk um, of the radical wing of the party. Tommy I mean, Bulldust is, is called Tommy Bulldust. That is. That that is the way that the Greens have built their vote. I mean. They are they are on track to get the largest number of MPs in their history uh, mm. on Saturday. But, but they've got a they've so got a similar. But, but but it's but it's such a it's such a con because the people who see James and think oh that's a very reasonable chap. I mean he's talking a lot of sense. What they probably don't realise is that the moment you know. The, the votes have been counted. Uh, James is just going to be pushed into a corner and the radicals are going to resume business as usual within the Green Party. I mean, there's, there is a tremendous cynicism about the way the Greens conduct their campaigns. They do not go out there uh, and promote, you know, the, the sort of identity uh, politics which, uh, you know, gets people sort of shaking their heads and blinking their eyes and saying, did she really just say that? 
um, that that they don't do that. Well, they do, they Chris. They've been, all, they've, they've they, been all they, over they, the trans. They've been all over the transgender yeah. issue more than anyone. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, That's identity politics, they, they, right they, there. They, they they can't they 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 can't shut down um, their party completely and let and let James do everything, but. But it is, it is, I think, a tremendously cynical approach when you, you put up your, your cis white male, because that's what he is, folks, mm-hmm. um, uh, in his suit and his tie, uh, to be the reasonable face of the Green Party. You say um, cynical. And while behind the behind 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 the scenes, um, there are some some pretty swivel-eyed loons at work. Yeah, absolute I mean, you, lunatics. Absolute you, lunatics. You say cynical. I say dishonest, because that he's the he's the facade, of the nice look for the Green Party that everyone you know, wouldn't mind having dinner James Shaw round for dinner. It'd be a nice glass of Chardonnay and sip, and we can talk about um, the planet. But in reality, the rest of the Green Party in behind them, as you say, are these cutthroat looters. Uh, that you know, like I'm, I'm staggered that James Shaw hasn't worked out that they're getting a high number of votes this election, not because of their policies, not because anything's brilliant. It's because Labor is crap, and it's the same relationship that ACT has with the National Party. Nash, ACT is strong when National is weak, mm. and and the Greens are in the same symbiotic relationship with the Labor Party, and if he can't see that. Then he's not going to see the the razor that's going to cut his throat about six months after the election, because most of those MPs that are going to come in off the back of his nice glib front are radicals, and they will cut his throat. Which deserves to be cut. Oh, he's far too he's, he's far too he's far too useful to them uh, to do that. But um, there may be uh, a couple of women in charge of the Greens by this time next year. How are I they wouldn't gonna, be a bit surprised to see that. How are they going to do that um, uh, with, with their constitution? Well, is one of them going to identify well, as male? Yeah, no, 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 no. It just, it just ha- one of the co-leaders has to be Maori, and one of the co-leaders has to be a woman. <laughs> um, and 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 so it's 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 kind of set up very neatly for Chloe and and Marama. And and not so not so neatly for James, but there we are. Do either of them know what a woman is, though? <laughs> yeah. Ah, well, you'd, you'd need to ask. You'd well, that shall ask. be asked. But one other little thing I want to say, well, it actually wasn't little. I thought it was just absolutely atrocious. In that uh, press leaders' debate, um, David Seymour was muted. Uh, 14 minutes, 34 seconds. People can check it out. 14 minutes 34 into that debate, someone turned his mic down and he was silenced whilst giving his whole answer on economics. And the weird thing is no one from ACT seemed to notice. And I brought it up on Twitter and fired something off to the Electoral Commission and, of course, they came back quickly and said, you know, that's actually a broadcasting issue, which, of course, it is. But really, they muted one of their... And and it was a turn down. It wasn't a cut like you could blame the technology. It was actually a fade out and then a fade mm, back up. Mm. But he was silent for thirty seconds. Mm. Um, but ACT don't seem to care. So and nobody, no, none of his supporters seem to care, which made me think his supporters aren't watching anymore. Well, his supporters are, de- are deserting him. Uh, you know, I've I've spoken to some some ACT supporters. And they've they've all gone and voted for New Zealand first, and some of them are large donors and have donated to the ACT Party in the past, and they've walked mm. away. Yeah. So you know, there's there's something happening out there in voter land, because three months ago uh, I checked in the in the polls, ACT had hit eighteen percent in a couple of polls, and he's now yeah looking right. like looking like eight or nine and if the surge for New Zealand first is real and carries on on election day you could well see New Zealand first and Winston Peters ahead of David Seymour and the act party well that would be fun yeah 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 
Yeah. I mean, and I mean, yeah, I'm, well, I'm, I mean my, the body language too, aren't you, of David Seymour? Oh yes, yes. He just didn't seem to be able to cope with um, with the rise of Peters and New Zealand First. Um, that's 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 the way I've read it anyway, um, because he had such a good three years before um, Peters um, returned mm. uh, to the fray. Um, and really, I mean, he he hadn't put a foot wrong. I mean, his his uh, his team in Parliament was superbly disciplined. Um, he 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 had a very good way with the media. He could crack a joke. He was good at getting his his policies out succinctly, uh, and that's why he had earned all that support. I mean, National was a bit of a mess. So as you say, Cam. Um, Act was the beneficiary mm. uh, of, of 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 national's decline, but but even with that, I think uh, Seymour added real value to the Act brand, huge value, and it all began to unravel when Peters began to challenge him, when Peters began his rise, uh, and that just seemed to both infuriate uh, Seymour. And also just a little bit unnerve him, and uh, his 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 performance just um, sort of collapsed, um, and so did his share of the vote. Um, it's a long way down from seventeen, eighteen percent to eight or nine percent. When That's when, when, when was and when it, was and he it's, on? And it's happened in a. It's happened in a, in, a, in a reasonably short space of time. Right. I, I always think that, that David, he made a terrible error in doubling down on their forced and coerced vaccinations in the workplace when Winston Peters showed that and admitted that he got that wrong. Um, in many interviews, Winston said that, whereas David just doubled down, and that was a great error. Well, he's been quite dismissive, almost as dismissive as Christopher Luxon, who said, "If you're a, if you're an anti-vaxxer, I don't want you voting for the National yeah, Party." Yeah. And we all said, "Hooray! We don't want to vote for you." Yeah, because that vote too of exactly how many look, we know that uh, many, many people went to Parliament. We know that. Voices for Freedom had a, you know, at least a two hundred thousand plus reach with their network. Um, we don't know how many people are in the silent majority are just still actually really bothered by that whole thing, but we'll 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 find out on Saturday. So the political parties that have refused to come on and discuss things on on my show or on on anybody else in Reality Check Radio are t- turning their back on three hundred fifty thousand potential voters. Uh, you know, yeah, and, that's ten percent. That's ten percent of the eligible voting population. That's right. Jesus. So you mm. know, and then you have a look at you know people have criticised Reality Check Radio because we've had a whole lot of New Zealand First candidates come on. But you know, I know for my show, we've asked everybody. I asked people in the National Party. Only one came on. That was Mark Mitchell. Uh, I've asked uh, Labour people, I, I've called up Willie Jackson, I've called up a number of Labour people to get them on. No, they've just refused. Same with the ACT Party. But every time I asked a New Zealand First candidate or a Vision New Zealand candidate, you know, Brian Tamaki's lot, uh, they all just said yes, and they came on. So, yeah. you know, I'm not surprised that we're seeing a surge for New Zealand First, and I think also that... Winston Peters has channeled into that angry mob that is out there that feel that the two large parties uh, are, you know, different sides of the same coin and aren't offering us anything spectacular. And he's hoovering that up. And I think on election night, I mean, and we're starting to see it in the polls, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I think we, what we're going to see is a real fright. Uh, on election night, and New Zealand first higher than even the polls have predicted they're going to be. That's just my mm. gut feel on people I'm picking up talking well, to. On one the- of the yeah, one of one one of the uh, imponderables is uh, whether or not the four or five percent out there that are voting um, for the parties that sprung up after the 
the parliamentary protest, um, whether or not they are determined to cast a vote for their party or whether they make a strategic decision, we're not going to breach 5%, but there is a party which is led by a man who came and spoke to the parliamentary protest when all the other parties refused to. Um, we've, we've got a party that has um, addressed issues which none of the others have uh, attempted to address. Why don't we um, uh, pump his vote and give him uh, the, uh, the sort of uh, clout he needs uh, to negotiate um, with Luxon? Yep. Uh, and that, if, if that happens, then boy, uh, I think you're right, Cam. I think, I think he's set there for seven or eight. Um, but if they do that, if, if the, the other vote is on 10. the right swing and, and behind, yeah, it could be nine or ten. Yeah. Well, just talking about the polls, we've had three polls this week. We've had the, the Guardian poll. We've had one news and we've had News Hub. Now, they're all pretty much saying the same thing, that in order for Labor to get there, they're going to need a four-party uh, coalition. They're going to have to, uh, even though Christopher Hopkins has said he's not going to work with Winston Peters, the reality is he can't get there in any way. If their if their number ends or starts with a two at the end of the election, there's no way they'll be able to form a government. They need to have a number that starts oh, with three. Oh, no. Uh, you're talk- <clears throat> this is Labour you're talking about. Yeah, no, yes. I couldn't agree more. No, yeah. It's, it's got to be. A, it's, I mean, if if if, uh, if Hipkins has to have any chance at all, he needs to push Labour's vote uh, <clears throat> to about 32% at the very least, I would say. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether there's that much oomph. Uh, I, I think what may let Labour down in the end is simply the huge number of uh, Labour voters who will stay at home. Yeah, that tends to be how how <clears throat> how the Labour vote registers um, its discontent, its disappointment, uh, its opposition. They just don't. It doesn't vote. necessarily vote vote for anything else. It just stays home. It just sits on the sofa and says, mm. "Sorry, <clears throat> no, I'm not." Um, and. I mean, Labor's working, you know, as hard as it can to prevent that, to get those people to get off the sofa and go and vote. Yeah. Um, and if if they succeed, then there could be a, a, a 2005 situation mm. uh, when Labor, um, you know, comes back at the very last minute to snatch um, victory from the jaws of defeat. But... Um, my my feeling is that it will be a very low vote by New Zealand standards, and that cannot be good news uh, for the left wing parties. I'm just looking um, at the um, at the chart that's on the Wikipedia page for opinion polling for the 2023 election, and it's an in- inexorable slide for the Labour Party, um, an indifferent sort of flatlining for the National Party, with a slight uptick towards towards the end. But what is the three uh, interesting ones is the Green Party getting an uptick as Labour has slid away, uh, the ACT Party on a downward, a distinct downward uh, trend <clears throat> in, the, in the last three months, and in the last, uh, essentially the last two weeks uh, or three weeks of the election campaign, a surge for New Zealand First. It's as clear as, uh, you know, the nose on your yeah. face yeah. um, that we're seeing. Yeah. And I think... You know, this, any, and the, yeah, no, Chris, go you go. Well, I was just going to say that any. Oh, no, I, I, I was just, I, yeah, I was just going to say uh, it, it's a measure <laughs> of Winston Peters' political skill. Yes. Um, not not simply to come back, but to time your comeback so that you know it's like 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 um, landing a little boat. You know, you just got to wait for the wave to lift it up and bring it onto the beach. And that's what he's so good at. He just he just leaves it out there and it gets a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And then, oh, look at that little wave. And up he goes and he's on the beach. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, he's been different this election too. 
we haven't seen a surly, combative Winston Peters. We've seen a happy, smiling Winston Peters. Happy yes, warrior. Yes, yes. And it makes the happy warrior the same. The, the yeah, the same happy warrior we saw in the Northern by-election. Yeah, which was as near to a perfect campaign as I've ever seen. But that's that's his great strength. That smile of his is worth a hundred thousand votes, at least. And if you look at the turning points or the inflection points of the polling, you have to say that uh, ACT started its downward slide when the moment they attacked Winston Peters and put their billboards up that were, that had Winston Peters' right. photo on them. That's right. And then we saw, of course, on on Sunday, the Labour Party launch a similar yeah. attack <laughs> where where they stupidly. Uh, had a picture of a smiling Winston Peters. A, a really good photo. A good photo of the silver fox, <laughs> you know. You, you can just imagine the pensioners in the rest times going, oh, that Winston Peters got lovely hair. Yeah. 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 But looking down <laughs> in his pocket, and in his pocket is Christopher Luxon. Now, I don't know yeah. whether the Labour Party yeah. did that deliberately to tell their voters, well, if we're going to have the National Party, we may as well give them Winston Peters to deal with. Because everyone that I've yeah, spoken to yeah. who's seen that ad has thought, that's what I want. Mm. I want to see Christopher Luxon exactly. in, in Winston <laughs> Peters' pocket. Yeah. And so that's the exactly. man for me. And the more they attack him, the more they say they don't want to deal with him, the more that they uh, denigrate Winston Peters. There's a great number of people out there who say, well, that's not a fair go. Uh, I think mm. I'll back that guy. I think I'll support him. Mm. And it's mm. very simple. We've been around politics for a long time, all three of us, right? There's probably 100 years between between all three of us involved in politics, probably more than that. Uh, these are, are simple things to do in a campaign, and yet Christopher Hipkins, Christopher Luxon, and David Seymour have made the most basic of political errors. Yeah, and yeah. Um, political yeah. advertising 101 errors, yeah. For sure. So, you know, in these in and these minor leader debates, Winston Peters is actually shone in those because of the pettiness yes, of all the yes, others. Yes. Yes. Especially yes. when he's next to Martimer Davidson. Yes, it, 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 it astonishes me that particularly the mainstream news media um, just never seems to get uh, Winston's strategy with the media. You know, it's like... It's like the more they get upset that Winston is, you know, rising in the polls and may may yet, uh, you know, exercise the balance of power. The, the more strident they get about that, the more the more they try to harm him. I mean, as with that um, interview with uh, with Jack Tame, um, the the more powerful he grows. I mean, the only successful strategy with New Zealand first is to completely and utterly ignore it. Yeah. I mean, that's what my mother used to say about kids who were annoying me at school. I don't worry about him. He's a dick. Just ignore him. You know, because Just ignore him. if you give people or politicians like Winston Peters uh, oxygen, they, they'll, mm. take it, they'll take it all up and they'll, you know, it's like you take oxygen away from a flame, it dies, right? Well, Winston exactly. Peters is a phoenix, so he's always surrounded by flames, and they're blowing oxygen on these flames and wondering, how did he come back? Well, because you were dead. <laughs> exactly. exactly, exactly. I mean, the obvious strategy for National and Labour um, would have been to quietly collaborate about eight or nine months ago so that on the same day, both leaders of the major parties announced that no, they wouldn't be having anything to do with New Zealand first, neither Labour nor National. And that would have put that question to bed and it would have made it extremely hard. I don't say that Winston wouldn't have been able to come back anyway because it would would have it would have represented the two big parties ganging up to keep mm. the third party mm. out. But I have um, a real which, problem which with that. Not have not have not have been a good look. But but the, the uh, this 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 business of of pretending he wasn't there, which was probably the right thing to do, but then acknowledging that he was there and that if he was there when he needed to talk to him, he would talk to him, and then 
to have this weird panic attack from Chris Bishop where he talked about no deals were possible and negotiations would fail and we may have to have a second election. See, that's, now, that's one of those inflection democratic government for, since 1850 and we have never had a second election. New mm. Zealanders don't expect to have a second election. They cast their votes. They expect the politicians to form a government. You know, it's that's yeah. the deal. Yeah. Um, they don't expect a party to go, oh, I don't like the hands you dealt me, deal me another one. Yeah, no, that's nah, undemocratic. That not going to fly. It's, it's fair porn so, yeah. too. But so is, so is the, this insistence of declaring you whether you're going to work with someone or not work with somebody. That's undemocratic too because there's a large yeah. chunk of voters <laughs> who, who vote for these people and they're saying, well, we're going to ignore yeah. that. Yeah. It's outrageous. Exactly. But but if you look at it, you know, we talked earlier about inflection points. David Seymour was the attack on Winston Peters. Um, you know, is National's inflection point. They've taken a drop in the polls since Chris Bishop had his brain fart. Now, I'm told privately by a number of senior National MPs that the leader was mortified by that statement and quite angry with Chris Bishop about that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens after the election if they are going to have to go on bended knee to, to Winston Peters because they can actually yeah. point to Chris Bishop and say, well, that's your fault, pal. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about the minor party yeah. scam? Are they all still polling on 1%? Well, each, that, each? That's, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> and the, the News Hub poll showed that um, there was a few minor parties, Democracy New Zealand, Alfred Naro's one-man band, New Zealand, uh, NZ Loyal, Liz Gunn's band of happy little um, uh, zealots. Yeah, zealots. Uh, it was on a one point four percent. Look, they're not going to make it uh, no. in, into mm. Parliament. And you know, we've got a situation here, particularly on the freedom side, where we've got a whole bunch of people that are sitting there clasping at the hem of Liz Gunn. Uh, thinking that she's a saviour. And you only have to uh, look at the judgment uh, that was, was given in the High Court uh, earlier yeah. in, the, in the week that was damning mm. about, about mm. uh, NZ Loyal, about their organisation, their ability to follow rules, laws and processes. And when they went to court, mm. I mean, the judge was very specific in the judgment. Uh, he said... Uh, there was no evidence presented that there was a problem here that needs to be rectified by me ordering the Electoral Commission to accept their list. Mm. They were late. Mm. They were so late that mm. even if they had rectified the issues they had, it still would have been late. And and mm. the judge yeah. was damning. Yeah. And then you've got Liz Gunn out there, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, but in, in Wanaka, uh, she was uh, made a speech. There was an hour. I listened to it at double time, and you know, I probably needed to have a, a suck on a bong or, or a couple of beers to make it palatable. But she claimed in that in that uh, Wanaka uh, speech that if everyone in Southland voted for NZ Loyal, they'll get the five percent. Oh dear! Oh, to get oh, them across yeah, the line, yeah, right now yeah. she's talking about Southland yeah. electorate, but, but yeah. you only have yeah. to look. You only have to look at parties like. Well, take it the last election, right? There was, um, there was that small party that Jamie Lee Ross was the leader of with Billy Tikaha, and they oh, they yeah. had you know ten thousand people at at a rally, right? They only got three thousand votes. Right, so so likes on Facebook and retweets on Twitter, uh, they don't translate to votes. No, they uh, don't. Even mm. you, you just have to look at even Brian Tamaki's various iterations of political parties. Right, he hit his high point the first time he did it. Now he's reported to have a hundred thousand congregationists of his church, yet he could only muster about twenty thousand votes. Yeah, so, so that means his congregates don't vote for him. Correct, because people don't mm. vote, vote. This is the thing that I think Liz Gunn is missing. There might be all these people going, go you, rah, 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 and then they get into the polling booth and they go, oh, yeah, that wallet's feeling a bit thin there. I think I'll go and tick that. 
or they go, uh, well, they're not going to get there. I'm going to take New Zealand first. And I think that's what's going to happen. Mm. I'll be very surprised if NZ Loyal cracks 10,000 votes in this election. Yep. I mean, and, and, and then they'll... Rem- yep. Oh, we've just lost Chris Trotter. He's dropped off the line. We'll see if we can get him back. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, Olivia, you uh, wanted to raise the burning issue around the world, which is the invasion of Israel by Hamas terrorists. Yeah, I mean, shocking, just heartbreaking, actually. I've been following the feed of um, Lieutenant Colonel in the Reserves, Jonathan Congricus, on um, on Twitter, which is actually worth, he's from the Israeli Defence Forces, but the Reserves. Um, they've mobilised 400,000 reserve troops, more than they've ever done before, ever, mm. um, to defend the borders of the north and south. Um, and they, you know, th- their mission now is to degrade Hamas until 100% um, completion of all Hamas's military capabilities are absolutely obliterated so that Hamas won't ever be able to strike Israeli citizens again. Um, they've been striking military targets and the fighters, of course, and he explains to Gazans to get out. You're being used as human shields by Hamas leadership, which, of course, they always do this. Mm. And they don't want to kill civilians, but we know that many actually will die. Um, You know, they're at war, and um, Jonathan Congricus was saying, we're at war and we've been assaulted by butchers. Um, nobody can expect us to provide ongoingly supply, supply electricity and water and energy to the very people whose leadership have treated us in this way. Um, yeah, and their warning is from the US is that Iran do not get involved, which means Hezbollah. Um, I think uh, Hezbollah are mostly in Lebanon, but you know they're going to get involved. I just feel I'm not sure. I'm not so sure about that. You know, okay. I, I, I mean, there's a few things that are interesting about this whole thing. And you know, I was in Israel in 2014 when Hamas was launching rockets and everything. And let, let me tell you, it's frightening. You know, it, from someone who's a Kiwi, and and I've, I've look, I've been trained in the army, and I'm used to explosions, and I'm into fire. But these missiles that blow up in the air above you, uh, you know, I was in Sidorot. Uh, in down there on the border of Gaza, I was in Ashkelon. I was in Ashdod. These places have been attacked. Uh, terrorists have murdered people uh, in their beds. Uh, you children, know, children, little ones. Uh, little ones, all of these sorts. Of, this is actually a physical invasion of Israel. Yeah, and uh, you know, these are these a few questions that are going to need to be asked once as once Israel finishes doing what they want to do. Um, because there's clearly some sort of intelligence failure, or if not a failure, some subterfuge that led, you know, I've, I've been looking at Ynet, uh, an Israeli news site, where they're saying that 75% of the troops that were formerly on the border of Gaza was, were moved last week to the West Bank to deal with rioting that was happening there around settler settlements, right? Yeah, and it seems that that was orchestrated to draw those troops away, which allowed this to then happen. Oh so God! I think there's, uh, I think there's, you know, if it's either intelligence failure or there's been subterfuge. But uh, you know, I was watching last night a video where a senior leader of Hamas says they've been play, planning to invade Israel for two years. Mm. Um, you know, they're actually quite open about what they're saying. And I think we have to believe what Hamas is saying when they want say they want to kill all Jews. Yeah. I think we have to believe them. Because yeah, believe them. Yeah. Well, I know that Colonel Douglas McGregor has been very vocal about it, and he feels that their top intelligence people are all bothering with the Ukraine. They're all up there helping Ukraine, and yet their own country just got invaded. So I, I actually think this will be the end of Netanyahu myself as Prime Minister. I don't see how, uh, you know, they're, they're murdering children and babies, not not and, and the raping of the women. I mean, it, it just it dep- doesn't get any worse than this. It depends on how they prosecute the war. And, and let's, you know, they've, they've talked about this as war. 
they've mm. declared war. That's a legal nicety yeah. uh, to to then allow them to do certain things. Previously, when they've been dealing with Hamas or Hezbollah, uh, it's it hasn't it's been a policing action or a or a defensive action. They've actually declared war. They've used the the term war. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So, also, I mean, you know, you know I'm just everyone's uh, really Cam. I feel that my gut feeling is for what that's worth to anybody. You know, I just think this is going to split the world. It's I really awful. Do. It, it's and just awful. It already it is. I mean, we saw what happened in Sydney. You know, with all those um, pro Hamas protesters rejoicing and calling out for gassing of the Jews. I've never seen anything so disgusting in Australia as that night, and the police did nothing. Well, they, they did they, do something. They arrested a, a Jewish, an Australian Jewish man uh, who had an Israeli flag. They arrested yeah. him. But they said they did that for his own protection, and to be honest, that's probably true. Yeah. You know, he would have been ripped apart by those animals. And, you know, I mean, since the Oslo Accords, five Israeli prime ministers, Perez, Barak, Sharon, Olmert, and Netanyahu, all were thoroughly endorsing and were behind the idea of a two-state solution. I would say that's well that's gone dead. now. Yeah, Abbas, I'd say that's dead. Yeah, leader of the party, Abbas, uh, leader, of, leader of Fatah, back in 2008, was offered most of the West Bank, 97% of the West Bank, part of East Jerusalem and Gaza, along with Israeli withdrawal from settlements in the Jordan Valley and eastern Samaria. Um, the offer also included a protected tunnel between Gaza and the West Bank to give Palestinians safe passage through. And what did they do? They turned their nose up at it. They rejected it out of hand, so Israel ceased all negotiations. Um, I remember I've got a really brilliant book called Interviews with History, and it's um, all Oriana Falacci's interviews of the 1970s. Mm. Um, and one of her most poignant and forthright interviews with was uh, Yasser Arafat at that time. And she asked him, she said, you always invoke the unity of the Arab world, but you know very well that not all the Arab states are ready to go to war for Palestine. A peaceful well, agreement is possible and can be expected. If such an agreement, Mr. Arafat, should take place, as Russia too expects, what will you do? And he spat, we won't accept. Never. We will never accept it. We will continue to make war on Israel by ourselves until we get Palestine back. And then, of course, you know, we got mm. the Sabina flight 571, hijacking en route from Brussels to Tel Aviv. We got the Log Airport massacre. Yeah, Munich Olympics massacre. Entebbe. Israeli yep. Entebbe, um, Israeli embassy bombing in London, the one in Bangkok. I mean, they got really busy. And then under the oversight of the Clinton administration in 2000, Arafat was offered the entirety of Gaza, East Jerusalem and all of the West Bank, this is during the Oslo Accords, which culminated in the Camp David summit. And Arafat smilingly refused. I remember the images at that time. And then he launched the vicious Senkid Intifada against Israel, which brought the Palestinians worldwide sympathy when Israel fought back. And this is what always happens. Mm. Well, you know, I think, though, there's a big difference here because since all of that, there's been the Abraham Accords. Yeah, and that has marginalised the Palestinians even more, and to the point where Jordan and Syria, or Syria, can't afford to to get themselves involved anyway. Uh, Jordan won't get themselves involved because they've already signed a peace agreement with Israel. Egypt won't do the same, and they police their border with Gaza with even harsher rules than the Israelis did with their border. But will they be uh, able to? Um, will they be able to control their populations who go nuts? Well, I don't know, but mm. it's it's a mess. It's it's going to be awful, and it'll be interesting to see what Iran tries to do. But the Israelis are not in a mood for uh, mucking around here, and I Good. think that what will happen is they will do to the Hamas leadership what they did to the terrorists who killed the uh, Olympic athletes at Munich. And they will uh, pop you them know, off one they, by one. One by one. If it takes them twenty years, they'll do it. Yeah, they'll do and, it. Well, they need uh, to do it. You know, each one of those terrorists was assassinated with twelve bullets in the face. Uh, yeah, one one for each death of uh, of the Israeli athletes. Yeah, and um, 
you Look, know, what it, they've done is just so brutal. It's it's toe curling, and now well, you've got the think, leader of now you've got th- the leader of um, Hamas calling for a global jihad day for Friday. Yeah, see, so he, yeah, know. I think Hamas has overestimated the support they have in the West because when you commit atrocities like that, all of a sudden it evaporates, and you we saw every country in the world uh, pretty much condemning uh, the actions of those terrorists. And that's unheard of, with the exception of New Zealand. And it only took Chris Hipkins to realise just how bad it was for him to uh, stomp on Nanaya Mahuta's uh, rather weak statement that she had oh, put out Oh, unbelievable. There. I mean, a shame to us. She shamed us with that statement. And it's, a, it's a dreadful note but uh, uh, to, to witness all of this happening, but uh, it's also probably uh, the best thing that we can do now is to wind up the political panel and look forward to the election night and uh, we'll see what happens, Sylvia. And we haven't been able to get Chris Trotter back, but um, I'm sure he'll be back on the show uh, some other time. Okay, Cam. Well, um, thanks for doing a good job for filling in for Paul. Well, I hope it's been to the standards that Paul expects, but yeah, we'll get it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll cop it in the feedback like we did last week. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Bye, Cam. Bye. Hi, everyone. A correction for the political panel replay today. I misspoke and said that in 2020, the Advance Party, which had seemed to have massive momentum beyond anything that we're even seeing in this election, eventually only polled at 3,000 votes. I was a little wrong there. In fact, it was just shy of 30,000 votes at 28,429. It was the Outdoors Party that polled at around 3,000 with 3,256. However, in any case, the point is is that the numbers are far, far short of what is required to meet the 5% threshold, which in 2020 was 144,000 votes. Committed to fair debate and honest information, the Reality Check has arrived. RCR, Reality Check Radio.